Welcome to the Heartbreak Kids Podcast, where we explore what connects us all in our yoga practice and in our lives. This is where I talk to people about their stories, who they are, what they've been through, and where they're going. And in this podcast, that's what we explore. I believe deep down inside, we're all connected, which explains why we bring ourselves to the top of our mat every day. Welcome to the Heartbreak Kids. So welcome to the next edition to the Heartbreak Kids. I'm here with Ann Jaleski. And Ann has been basically a, a part of a bunch of workshops that I've taught out in Napa. But she's also helped with our online recovery course. And, uh, you know, she teaches Ashtanga yoga and she's played a big impact, uh, you know, or she's had a big impact on the Trini Foundation and you know, the forums that we do. And so I thought I would invite you on here, Anne, and really talk about some of the work that you're doing and uh, kind of dive into um, some of the nitty gritty and some of like the interesting things that go along with Ashtanga yoga and trauma. So welcome to the show, Anne. Thanks for having me. So um, let's talk a little bit about background because I always like to start with that so people can kind of relate. So um, where are you from? I'm originally from uh, Hebron, Illinois, which is a tiny town about an hour and a half northwest of Chicago. Um, only 800 people. <laughs> so country life. Wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I live in Napa. So I made like kind of the trek from, you know, from there to living in Chicago and then from Chicago moving out to Napa. Awesome. Yeah. And um, so tell us a little bit about your background with, uh, you know, high school and college, like what kind of person were you? I mean, were you intrigued by <laughs> yoga and were you intrigued by, you know, trauma work when you were in high school and did that like sort of carry over into college? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, um, I think I was like a normal angsty nineties kid, you know, like goth girl kind <laughs> of thing. <laughs> like, you know, um, going and listen to music in clubs in the city and stuff like that. But I, I was kind of lucky in that um, my dad actually was a yoga practitioner back in the 80s um, before it was, like, cool. And so um, – Wow, that's way before it was cool. <laughs> way before it was cool. And so there was a show on after Saturday morning cartoons called Yoga with Priscilla Patrick. So he and I would watch that um, and practice with her. This like little PDF. Oh, you, but in high school, you um, in high school you were doing yoga with your dad. No, no, this is when I was little, um, and he would practice. Oh, even yoga. little. Um, yeah, and meditation. And so when I was really little, that's kind of you know was part of the culture of my house. Um, and it kind of fell away when I went into high school. Like, was busy with other stuff, you know, like jobs and boys and all that stuff so I didn't really do any yoga in high school I played sports um basketball softball horseback riding cycling that kind of a thing so I was always you know active yes and whatever. you're pretty I active really I was yeah I mean I try to still be but you know um and then I didn't really get back into yoga until probably probably mid to late 20s when I was living in Chicago yeah 
So, and um, did you find did you find Ashtanga yoga like right around that time, or when you were in Chicago? No, I didn't. I've only been practicing Ashtanga um, since I moved to Napa, so uh, maybe five years now, maybe six, something like that, five. Um, but my sister practiced Ashtanga for many years before that, and so I'd go on vacations with her, and she would like torture me with the primary series. <laughs> and I was like, what is this? This is horrible. <laughs> and then, you know, the I, I would just watch thing ever. Yeah, yeah. I would just watch her practice and think she was crazy. And um, when I moved to Napa, I had been going through a really rough time and my father had just died and, I, you know, was really kind of depressed and things got real. And so she said, you know, you really should maybe think about practicing Ashtanga. Um, and then she just said, you know, just so happens that there's a shala around the corner from where you just bought your house, which as just Chongis know, it's actually really hard to find a shala and people drive from all over to come to the shala. So I was really lucky. And I walked into what at the time was Ekam Yoga, um, which was owned by Corey Sheffer and um, has since become a Shanga Yoga Napa Valley. And I just kind of got really lucky. I walked into a room with this incredible teacher and this incredible community. And um, I was a very resistant Ashtangi. You know, I was the one who was like, yeah, I'll come tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow. And then it would be like four days later and I hadn't gone. So, uh, yeah, Corey put up with me for some reason. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You, and then slowly, You took just, to it pretty good, though. I did. Um, I thought it was really fun. Like I said, I was having a hard time. And so I liked that it was early. I liked that it was quiet. I liked that there was no noise. Um, I liked that there was like one teacher um, and, and a few assistants that I, I really trusted because, you know, I didn't, the whole assist thing was kind of new to me. I'd done vinyasa and stuff like that, but they don't really assist in the same ways. So I liked that part of it for sure. And I could, you know, I knew it was good for me, but I was just, just dragging my feet, you know, having too much fun yeah. in Napa and not wanting to get up at five o'clock in the morning. So I slowly would add like a day and add another day and add another day and um, yeah, and then moved over when the shala changed to Ashtanga Yoga Napa Valley and kind of got more serious, I, I think, at that point and um, started shadowing Corey in the, my storeroom and learning as much as I could from her and assisted sometimes um, as the years progressed. What kind of classes were you teaching for? I'm sorry? You were teaching classes for, so which classes were you teaching? Oh, um, I mean, I started out just, like I said, shadowing her in the Meister room, um, and then I would kind of observe and assist in the Meister room, and then um, once I got my, you know, 200 hour, I started teaching like a half primary lead, um, and I would do like beginners Ishtanga on the weekends, um, which was fun, and then for a while I had like a night, night store, which was pretty cool, um, and I taught a meditation class for her over there for a little bit, so... Yeah, so just kind of like here and there. At the time, I was in grad school as well and working full time. So, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't able to always do as much as I wanted to at the Shala. Um, but yeah, definitely a big part of my life for sure. And, um, yeah, great time in my life for sure. Yeah. And what are some of the biggest things that you learned through, you know, teaching and practicing? Um, well, I think I learned to read people. Um, in teaching and practicing, I think as you practice, you learn about yourself. And as you teach, you kind of um, can observe that, I guess, inward um, journey that other people are having 
um, in front of you, which is kind of interesting. So yeah, so I think I learned to read people. I think I learned that um, it really seemed like my, um, yeah, I don't know, I guess kind of like watching people's bodies and minds kind of come together a little bit. So yeah, it's pretty it's, fascinating. It is. I don't know how else to put it. It's it's really fascinating and it's really interesting. Um, and, you know, yeah, and I learned obviously just how to teach to a lot of different people because, um, you know, it's one on one kind of dynamic. And so really getting at like, OK, like, what does this person need to hear for a light bulb to go on for them? Um, and how can I help them? I always really wanted people to leave feeling good, feeling successful. I mean, I think we all know that there are times in our practice that they're just it just sucks sometimes. <laughs> and like, you know, so I was always really wanting people to feel like they could have that practice and come back and, and still feel good about it, you know, still feel like that was worth it. And they walked away with something. And I think that might come from like my background in hospitality, just kind of like wanting people to feel good and feel welcome and feel happy. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of, that's the gist of it for me, I think are the most important parts. And then obviously like learning so much from Corey, um, just about, you know, the body and how it works and um, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it's really interesting. I mean, I've learned so much from the practice that it, it's hard to. Someone asked me that. It's like, do we have a whole whole hour to talk yeah. about it? I know it's like really hard. You know? it's like, well, I, gosh, what have I not learned from it? You know, so right. I've learned so much. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've heard you. I heard you mention uh, grad school. So why don't we talk a little bit about grad school and kind of some of the work that that you've been doing? Yeah, sure. So I um. I was teaching uh, high school at the time, and um, after my dad died, uh, my dad died of, of alcoholism, and after he died, I was kind of like, okay, you know, I, I, I remembered in that moment that I had actually in high school always wanted to go to school for psychology, and I just didn't. It wasn't practical. You know, I had to pay my way through school, and like, there was no grad school option at that time, so didn't do it. Wish I always had, and I remembered it in that moment, so I ended up immediately, pretty much immediately signing up for the next semester of grad school that I could and um, went into clinical psych at the University of San Francisco. Um, yeah, and so I was studying clinical psychology. I was practicing yoga, practicing Ashtanga, and kind of healing my own stuff, my own junk that was coming up around my dad and other things that had been happening around, in and around my life. And, um, you know, kind of got really curious. Like, I knew that the yoga was helping. I knew that um, what I was learning about trauma and um, how to work with trauma was helping, but I didn't understand how they were connected. Um, and then I actually stumbled into your Trinity Foundation training and a couple of light bulbs really went off there, kind of Ohio and learning all about that um, and really, you know, coming from my dad's death, like really wanting to do something in that community i'm not in recovery but you know just understanding the toll that it can take on families so then i started working um, as a volunteer at the napa state hospital uh, which is um it's um it's a it's a mental hospital um you end up going there if you're like not fit to stand trial um yeah. so, you know people go there to get well before they can stand trial so i started volunteering there and i was teaching ashtanga yoga there and that was just yeah, and it's so sad. I mean, COVID is sad for so many reasons, but 
that's the one thing that stings the most for me is that I didn't get to say goodbye to my guys. I haven't been there in however many months it's been, you know, and I won't get to go back <laughs> until there's a vaccine. So I really miss it there. Um, but yeah, so I started teaching there and just kind of really watching those guys um, and women on their journey and how this yoga was helping them. And I just started to get so curious about how this all connected. I actually transferred schools to study somatic psychology instead of, or in addition to, I should say, in addition to clinical psychology. Um, and so that's, you know, somatics is really studying the connection between the mind and the body and, and how do these things align and how and why do they work the way that they do. So, yeah, so then I made that shift and transferred to that new school. I went to John F. Kennedy University and started digging in and kind of like as, as often as my professors would let me doing research on yoga and yoga and trauma and breath work and meditation and trauma and how those things were connected. So it just was like, I mean, I knew, like I said, I knew it worked. It was working for me. I saw it working for other people, the Trinity foundation, you know, you know, it works. So the question yeah. to me is why, why, you know, we have all this anecdotal information. Why? So I just, you know, it was like this insatiable kind of, I don't know, taste for research and, and went down the rabbit did you hole. Start, did you start to research it? I did. Yeah. I mean, I started reading as much as I could about, um, starting out, it was just like, you know, yoga and trauma, yoga and um, mental health, yoga and anxiety, um, all kinds of, you know, avenues and digging in deep and stumbling across the big guys, the heavy hitters, you know, the, Bessel van der Kolk, who were doing research, Stephen Porges and polyvagal theory and all these different concepts and ideas. Of course, reading Eddie Stern's book, that was pretty pivotal in terms of the work that I wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, just kind of digging in as much as I could and, and filtering out as much information as I could, but still really curious about Ishtanga specifically um, because you know, I, I think yoga is yoga and I think it doesn't matter to me what you practice. I'm just glad people are practicing, you know, but, but there is something about the Ishtanga system, or at least I believe that there was something about the Ishtanga system. Um, and I still do. That is specifically um, beneficial uh, for trauma and specifically for trauma, in my opinion, again, this is just my opinion, but specifically for trauma in which um, there is a disconnect between the mind and the body. And I think that that happens all the time, you know, we're told that our bodies are something to be ashamed of. We're told that our bodies aren't working. We're told that our bodies are deficient, that, that they're failing us. And so we kind of live in this cognitive world where our mind, it's like mind versus body. Um, and what is Tonga? Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, like, I, yeah, I mean, you have a panic attack and you feel like your body is, you know, you literally feel like you're dying, but you feel like your body is betraying you. And so that, yeah. that's really what I was interested in was like this idea of like, okay, we're told all the time our body are, is betraying us in some way. And, and, and how and why was I suddenly way more in tune with my body and, um, and what's called like the, the felt sense of my body um, as a result of practicing Ashtanga that didn't happen when I did other things, other sports. It didn't happen when I practiced other kinds of yoga. So um, that that was kind of at the root of what I wanted to find out. And it ultimately was the root of what I wrote my thesis on. So, yeah. Yeah. And what do you think, um, 
you know, like, what do you think it is about Ashtanga yoga that, that these other forms of yoga or other forms of exercise don't have? Like, where's that connection at? Like, where's the, I mean, how do you put together the, the dots where someone is able to, you know, process and have those aha moments and work mm-hmm. on their traumas, you know, like, yeah. because I feel like they do that in the other, you know, in other areas too, but why specifically Ashtanga yoga have you found? Well, um, you know, I, I, I will, I will say that there's like a whole nother avenue um, of trauma work with yoga that is, you know, um, trauma specific yoga that has been um, created by David Emerson, Bethel van der Kolk, and is, it is very, very effective, especially with things like sexual trauma. Um, and, and so like, this is not to say that Ashtanga is the only one that works, but in that avenue, in that vein that I just said about like this betrayal of the body, I, I think it does work. And I think part of the reason it's actually kind of interesting because as I was doing research, I was like getting really excited and um, finding out, you know, I'm like, yes, yes, all the dots are starting to connect. And then I came across this research article that said yoga and swimming does this. And I was like, I had to sit back. I was like, oh my God, did I just blow up my thesis? So like, if it's not yoga and it's swimming, <laughs> you know, what's happening here? But when I started to think about, um, you know, Ishtanga's focus on the Tristana, um, it occurred to me that swimming really shares that. Um, yeah, for sure. And I, and I think that that's key. I think that Tristana is key here in why um, Ashtanga works. You know, you have this, this like single pointed focus, you have your breath, right? You're like utilizing your body in these very unique ways. Um, and you're using the breath to fill the mind, you're using the breath to fill the body um, and to create this sense of clarity and centeredness. Um, which you also, I think, need in swimming. So I thought that was very cool. Um, but yeah, I think that that's really the pivotal piece about Ashtanga um, that isn't always present in, in other forms of yoga. I think, though, too, with Ashtanga, you know, one of the sort of question marks would be, you know, making sure that, like, if myself now as a therapist and a therapist, as a clinician, if I'm going to send somebody to, I wouldn't just say, oh, find an Ashtanga class. You know, I would I would recommend right. very specific teachers and people that I know really understand and can read the nervous system, because you know what we're doing in Ashtanga is we are essentially rebalancing the nervous system, right? When you experience some kind of serious like disconnection from the body, you can't regulate your nervous system. So if you're working with a teacher that also can't help right. you regulate your nervous system, then you can go sideways really quickly. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I know that a lot of times, like what I'm doing is trying to focus on regulating myself so that I can be present, you know, to, to help that person experience whatever they need to experience. Well, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you really just hit it on the head there. It's called co-regulation. And so, you know, your teacher by maintaining their own regulation helps you regulate. So if I can't regulate, I can regulate to you and co-regulate. And through co-regulating, I can teach my nervous system what it feels like to regulate. I think, you know, um, as yoga teachers who have, have, have done any kind of hands-on assist, 
if you're not regulated and you touch somebody, I mean, haven't you had that experience where somebody's just like, like energetically, they're like swinging from the rafters and up you go with them and you're right. like, what is happening? So you, right. because you're like regulating to them instead of them regulating to you. So it's always like a battle of who is the strongest nervous system. So you got to make yeah, sure you have the strongest nervous system in the room if you're going to teach, especially if you're going to teach people with trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when you specifically talk about regulation, I mean, what do you actually mean just for the listeners? Yeah, yeah. So that's a good question. And, and I should have started by just explaining that. But really, um, when I talk about regulation, I'm talking about, you know, the ability to, I want to say, I, 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 I'm not, I, I, we talk about like the ability to control the nervous system. I don't like the word control because it implies a domination over self, right? Um, mm-hmm. But we're looking to work with our body and nervous system. We're looking to have our mind and our systems work together so that we can properly assess danger, risk, um, and understand. So, so like I know that you know, um, you know, a good example is like I'm burning toast, and my my brain and my nervous system need to understand that the toast is burning, not the house. So I'm, we're trying to bring ourselves back into a place where we can actually learn and grow. And, and this is where that, you know, um, I won't get too into it because there's just so many, so many excellent books um, you, you can read about it. But um, that's where this concept of the polyvagal theory comes in and, and is really important. What we're trying to do, um, whether you're working with a therapist, somatic therapist, whoever, it doesn't matter, yoga room, what we're trying to do is work within what's called the window of tolerance. So if I have a lot of trauma, I mean, you think about it really literally like a window. My windows only mm-hmm. open a crack, right? And, and I only have that much space to be uncomfortable. If I'm more uncomfortable than the space I have to tolerate it, then I'm dysregulated. Does that make sense? And so, totally. yeah, so what we're trying to do is like open the window wider, open the window wider, open the window wider so that we can sit in discomfort which is also something that Ashtanga teaches us to do really, really well. It's, like, it's pretty uncomfortable at times. So yeah. like, how can yeah, we very. sit? It's super uncomfortable. How can we sit in discomfort um, for longer periods of time and still be able to tell ourselves like, you know, it's okay. There's not a tiger in the room. Um, I can hold capo. I can do these things. It's going to be okay. This back bend's fine. You know, it's, and I can kind of... Um, uh, push against the edges of my like fight flight freeze responses. If you've ever been in a yoga room where you see somebody like just collapse on their mat crying, you know, that's, that's, that's good. Like get it out, you know, feel the feels it's yeah. good. Like no judgment. But it's also like, I always kind of put one eye up, like how dysregulated are they? Do they need, do they need somebody to help them regulate or do they just need to regulate themselves? Like have they, they work maybe, too intensely sometimes that's where we you know like our ego gets in the way and I, I like want something sooner than I should and I can blow out my nervous system doing stuff like that so and that's another yeah. thing like, also with a great teacher too. like keeps an eye on that you know like are people yeah or are they ready for what they're trying to do yeah mm-hmm. I was gonna say they could blow out their nervous system and they could also blow out their knee yeah, oh. <laughs> they can blow out their hip they can blow out their back <laughs> right right yeah. I mean with that that sort of mindset and yeah. so are you really talking about like resiliency, you know, like, are you talking about like being able to handle 
sort of more bandwidth or more stress or um, it, yeah. it, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, when you have people who have experienced significant and severe trauma, their um, resiliency is lower. Their 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 body and their mind is hyper. It's not even a body and mind. It's like the basic thing of what makes you an animal is hyper vigilant. It's scanning for danger, um, and so there's no relaxation. And so, like your set point is is already too high. Um, right. Yeah, and so you're just trying to like relax the system, relax the set point, bring it back down to equilibrium, um, as opposed to always living in this speed up place. And that is also how we kind of widen our window of tolerance. So you do that by being in discomfort. And well, how do you do that? Well, you do that by breathing and moving and twisting. And you know, these these traumas that we have, they don't just exist in our mind; like they exist in our emotional body. And as we contort and twist and create these shapes, you know, muscles are moving and firing that maybe haven't in a really long time and things come up. Um, and that's the beauty of doing something like this every day, right? Like I get to, yeah, I, I know like, oh, when I get to this posture, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a response here. Um, and that helps build my window of tolerance. I'm like, okay, there's this posture coming and I'm, yesterday I, you know, Start crying and like I'm just gonna see if I can just breathe through it just a little bit and you get in there and you say I'm okay I'm okay and I'm just gonna breathe just breathe just breathe and so you get to do this every day and you get to work these issues up and out and through the body from like what we will call like a bottom up approach like body up so body into mm -hmm. mind you know as opposed to like talking about it. Um, sure. Yeah. And like, and like a regular therapy, uh, therapy session, it's really like, ex like experiencing it from, from the body and then processing it through the mind. Is that what I'm hearing? You? I think in a somatic session, it's feeling it in the body and then processing it verbally or however, actually sometimes people don't ever need to process things verbally in a somatic in a therapeutic model. But in like, if I said, Hey, you know, I, I go see a therapist. You know, you, you immediately are like, oh, she sits on the couch and she talks to her. That's what most therapy is. But right. there are times when um, we just don't have words. We don't have words. Or to use words to express what has happened to us is so re-traumatizing that um, it would be, like, clinically un unethical for me to ask a client to recount their trauma story. So right. you can work from the body and, like, you know, you can work, you can teach people. I, I work with people a lot and teach them how to resource, which means like, how do I find a calming resource in my body? This sounds a little, it sounds pretty woo-woo, but it works. Like, what is it? Where does it live? What does it feel like? What images come up? What, you know, sounds, images, um, anything. Like, what comes up? Yeah. And how can I find it so that when I'm activated, I can find it again and bring calm back to my nervous system. I can pendulate back down as opposed to just getting keyed up. So we can work and then on other sessions like, and this happens in yoga too, in, in Ashtanga, um, what happens is what's called the felt sense. Like you might have like something like in the body is asking for your attention. Why? Like, why? Like, what is it trying to tell you? What's it saying? Like, what does it need from you? Um, and it might be something trauma related, but I don't have to know the nature of your trauma for to know that we can heal that part, right? Yeah. 
I'm wondering uh, what you think about, I mean, I've heard this many, many times, but I'm wondering what you think about like, you know, having an injury, you know, like are injuries typically like a physical injury or do you feel like more injuries are actually like this emotional or this trauma stuff that is actually happening that is like putting it in the body? I, I think it's So both. that we pay attention to. Yeah. I mean, I think it's okay. both. Like, I could, you know, go skateboarding down the sidewalk and fall and break my leg in half. And that's like a real injury. <laughs> like, that's not in my head. Oh, you know, the, yeah. my leg is cracked in half. But, um, but there's also emotional injury. And I guess like the thing is, it's like both and because it's all pain, right? Like there's emo- emotional pain, whether you're, whether the injury that's manifesting physically is emotional or physical in nature is secondary to the fact that that individual is in pain. That's, that's how Mm -hmm. I always think about it first. Um, And so like, but like, let's say I could go skateboarding on the sidewalk, fall, break my leg in half that heals. And then, you know, I kind of always have like a few postures where I get really nervous and my leg starts to hurt or something like that, you know, and it's not technically physical. There's nothing wrong with me. Well, there was like literally a physical trauma to the body. And then that, part of my body remembers that physical trauma and it has its own emotions and sensations around it. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, there's all that. Yeah. There's, there always is that question of like, is my pain real or not real? Is it physical or emotional? And, yeah. and, and I would say it doesn't matter. Um, what matters is like your body is telling you that something's not okay. Um, and as you get to know yeah. your body more, you can tell like, so for me right now, you know, I'm in Napa and there's wildfires raging all around us. <laughs> so that's happening. <laughs> but I, but I can always tell, like, I have what I call my trauma neck where like when I'm really stressed, even if I'm walking around saying like, I have been with the fires, like I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. People are texting. Are you safe? I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Then my neck starts to hurt. And that is a real pain. I can't move my head, but I know that it's related to pretending like I'm fine when I'm not. And I know that that means like I've, I've got to do some serious self care here because if I don't, you know, this thing is going to seize up. So it's real. I can't move my head, but it's emotional based. So yeah. So my body's yeah. telling me like, Hey, stop lying. Cause your body actually, your body can't lie. If your body's not healthy, it'll tell you. So. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because, you know, over practicing for however long I practice now, what I've realized is that actually most of my injuries have actually not, I, I mean, I have had like actual physical mm-hmm. injuries, but, but most of the things that I've like serious that I've dealt with have actually been that me processing trauma and sort of sitting in the suffering part of it. And, and also being okay with the suffering part of it as I process it, because I don't really want to let it go. Mm. And as I, as I practice more, I'm able to kind of get the emotions moving. I'm able to, you know, uh, become okay with maybe letting it go or letting it be. Um, but it's funny because yeah, it, I guess it doesn't, it doesn't matter. The fact that you're in pain or suffering is, is, you know, sort of, that's the, you know, the benchmark. Yeah. yeah. I like what you said too, like about letting it go or letting it be. I mean, when you think about the amount of like 
physical and emotional compassion you have to have for yourself to let it go or let it be. Um, Cause we like want to cling, right? We want to hold on to stuff and cling on to stuff. And even when it's like upsetting stuff, um, it's what we know. And so like, if you can like move through pain, emotional or physical without judgment of yourself, let it be, um, let it be what it is like, acknowledge it you know that's a very somatic thing like to say hey like you belong this belongs this feeling belongs there it's okay i can sit in this feeling and it's not going to overwhelm me i'm i'm going to make it through to the other side of this feeling you know yeah there's and that it was a big uh, i mean that was sort of a big revelation for me where i was like it's okay that i'm right here right now at this place that I don't really like, but I can like sort of, well, I mean, in my recovery, I'm like, I can turn it over to my higher power or mm -hmm. any of that stuff. But like from what you're saying, it's like, I'm, I'm just basically like kind of letting my claws out of it enough yeah. where, I, where things can start to move. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the practice allows us to build that compassion for our body and our body's limitations. Right. I mean, you're, we're doing this stuff every day. Ideally, <laughs> sometimes I don't, but you know, <laughs> we're doing this stuff often. And um, yeah, like, you know, we have to, we're learning that our bodies, like I had started out by talking about how like this idea of like, it's me against my body. It's just like the trail of body. Um, and we're learning that like, well, that's not actually true. Like the thing that I didn't think my body could do six months ago, it can do today. The thing that I thought, you know, um, that I was ashamed of, you know, like, oh, I was so tired or whatever, like, whatever, like, it is what it is. Like, we just kind of begin to ease up on the expectations of perfection, um, let our claws out of it. I like the way you said that and begin to just let it be. And I think in that letting it be, that is where we really develop that. Um, that ent it's like entity work it's 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 no longer having the separation of body and mind it's functioning as an entity um eddie stern i'll, I'll use his his phrase as it's open monitoring of the system like that's you know that's one of the things that ashtanga yoga allows us to do like in this single pointed focus that we have there is this like sort of like if you were to stare straight ahead at something very intently and then you soften your gaze and you and you widen it, you start to see the thing in the periphery, right? You can widen mm -hmm. it. So it's like this open monitoring of the system. And we can we can monitor the the entity um, when we practice. Uh, and I think that, yeah. that is like where a lot of that work happens. But it takes time, you know, it takes time. And you also see people who like, get stuck places, right? Like they build a story about the place that they're stuck. Um, yeah. So they're like for sure, I see that a lot. System. Yeah, yeah. They like they're basically teaching their nervous system to like, let's get stuck here, let's blow out here, let's not tolerate this here. And so it's like really interesting to watch that too. And I do, I've done it, you know, where I'm like, do something too many times. It's like, well, wh why are you doing that twelve times? Just, you're just getting blown out. Like, let it, let go. Take your claws out. <laughs> let it go. Do it tomorrow. Relax. It's fine. It's just yoga. <laughs> you know? yeah, there's no finish line here. You know, it's yeah, like it's just gets worse. Just gets yeah. worse with every posture. <laughs> it just gets harder. 
harder and harder. Yeah. yeah. Progressively harder. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want the next posture. Trust me. <laughs> because it's harder than the one you did, just mm-hmm. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with that a hundred percent. And so what do you think, um, you know, for people that are just pra- like just starting to practice and also maybe for the person who's experienced, you know, how can they play with these ideas that you're talking about? Like wh- what are some of the, maybe techniques Mm. or ways that they can start observing and or witnessing the you know the the things that are being brought up on their mat what's the best way for them to kind of proceed well that's a very good question it's a very big question um i guess this is going to sound like just sort of trite but like i don't you cannot underestimate the importance of the breath right like breathe like if you're not breathing or your breathing is shallow or fast your nervous system isn't regulated um so forcing a regulation to your breath um will force the system to remain calm so i would say start with your breath and listen to it as you breathe listen to the breath focus on the breath um that would be my first the first thing i would also say that like there's this whole um, being able to like develop what I call my therapy clients, like an observer or a witness, mm-hmm. you know, like instead of getting tangled up in your stuff, in your stuff, right. You're like, don't get in the rat's nest, like get, get away from it. Take a step back and like notice what's happening and don't try to change it. Just say, Oh, here I am in, you know, uh, I don't know, Marichasana C, and I, and I can't get this bind, and I'm feeling really frustrated, and, you know, for me, for me, like in real life, for some reason, shame always comes up in that posture. I don't know what it is, but here I am feeling shame. Um, you know, it belongs, and just let it be, you know, and, and notice it without trying to get out of it. But that, again, you know, how do you do that? You breathe through it. So like on the mat, those are, you know, kind the kinds of things that, that I would ask. I would also say like, slow down, like slow down. Like if you're, if a lot is coming up, slow down. You're like, sure. Like do less. I know it's like probably you're like, no, don't tell people to do less and <laughs> do a little less. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've been on this kick, you know, maybe for the last five years where, I I have been uh, talking to people about not necessarily pushing through their stuff. Mm. Uh, instead of it, like, instead like sit with it and do stuff that is manageable for you, you know, because for many years, like I, I was at a place where all I did was push, push, push. Right. I mean, in teaching and also in, in my practice. And I reached a spot where I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. Like I, I, like it was, it was like a light switch went off. What shifted? And then, um, I mean, I chalked it up to like that. I was getting older (laughs) and I was was sort of getting tame and like being a dad and like kind of watching my kids grow and, and then also seeing my students as kind of like them growing as well. Like, Mm where it was like, you can't rush this process. It's uh, what I've, what I've realized that it's, it's actually about just the consistency of showing up every day and doing as much as you can to the Mm -hmm. best of your ability. 
that's what it, I mean, that's really what, that's, what's transformative. It's not like some magic. It's not like all of a sudden you get, get transformed from doing a drop back or doing right. Kapitasana or Supta Kramasana. It's, it's the process of, of, you know, doing it on a consistent basis and seeing that progress and seeing things unfold and, uh, processing stuff, all, all of that. And so, yeah, that was one of the big aha moments for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think that, I think that, that, I think that's hard though. I think it's hard, you know, to, to stop pushing, to, to actually be able to like, that would be like to my point of developing that like observer witness, like to being able to trust yourself enough to say, is this the best of my ability today? And if the answer is yes, to trust that, that it's yes. And if it's no, then to call yourself on your own stuff and try again or try a little harder. Um, so that, that would be part of that observer and witness. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, to more directly answer your question too, like literally what can people do? Cause it's like, well, you can spend years practicing your stronger. They're like, no, I want an answer right now. What can I do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like there's, you know, stuff that they can do. Um, like I think, I think doing somatic resourcing is really important. Um, finding out what your body's resource, where your body's resource lives, how to tap into it, how to find it when you're feeling dysregulated. So I'll walk clients through just visualization. We'll find it. We'll talk about what the resource is. It could be anything. It could be like a memory. It could be a sensation. It could be something totally nonverbal. It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter to me. I don't even have to understand it. But so they can do what's called somatic resourcing um, to help them find their regulation when they're feeling dysregulated. They can work with things called, um, if they want to look into um, stuff like uh, working with the felt sense, like if you're going to sit in meditation, let's say like, well, like scan your body, like notice like what's coming up, notice what's asking for your attention, um, notice what sensations, images, memories, behaviors um, come up around it um, and just bringing some awareness to it, um, that that can be really helpful. Um, yeah. If they're lucky enough to have like a somatic therapist around, like go go meet with somebody and, and see, you know, see what they're offering, see what they can help you with. Um, find a somatic coach if you don't have a therapist, like, you know difficult to find a smack therapist so yeah but um so i would say like resourcing i would say yes working with self senses um you can play little games with your nervous system called pendulating where you take yourself just the edge of your window of tolerance and then you research your way back and you go just to the edge and you research your way back and you find that you can push your edge a little bit wider a little bit wider open that window of tolerance and that helps so much on your mat so much because then you're sitting in discomfort and you're like, eh, can I push on my edge a little bit with compassion, right? Just push a little bit and then come back. Yeah. So stuff like that, I think translates really well to the practice, like how those two can work together. Yeah. Well, it's always fascinating to, you know, have these conversations and I've, I've heard you talk about this stuff a lot and, you know, I, I feel like we could talk for another, you know, 45 minutes on. I know. On I just, feel like I didn't get to say anything I was going to say. I didn't even have prepared questions. I, you, did, you did awesome. It was like you've done this before. So, <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah. And so, you know, it, there's so much like depth there. Um, just name like a couple of the resources that you feel like people could uh, maybe learn a little bit more. You mentioned a couple books as we were um, mm, yeah. talking today. Like, what are a couple books or resources that, that people could find some of this information? Yeah, well, um, and, you know, I also just want to say, like, if anybody wants more comprehensive lists of books and things, they can always reach out to me. I'm happy to send, you know, um, articles and stuff like that. I think that um, looking at uh, David Emerson's work um, is, is good. Um, he has a book called Overcoming Trauma Through Yoga, Reclaiming Your Body. I think that's great. I think um, most, a lot of people have read this in our community, but um, Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score, that's an absolutely pivotal, it's absolutely pivotal systematics in our understanding of trauma, the work that Bessel van der Kolk is doing. He's one of the reasons why um, people are actually paying attention to yoga in a, in a non-anecdotal manner. So, and yeah. for every chapter in that book, you know, those chapters come from research studies and articles that he's written. So you can go down the wormhole with Bessel van der Kolk for sure. Um, I think that like, it's interesting to look at, um, there's a, there is a, a couple articles that I read in the Journal of Indian System of Medicine that were, that were helpful. Um, but that's like a real nerd alert. <laughs> You're going to go down the wormhole. Um, there's <laughs> one where they talk about the comparison of yoga knati with the nervous system. That's really fascinating. Um, of course, I recommend everybody read the Yoga Makaranda if you can. Yeah. Um, you yeah, that's a really good that one too. Online. Yeah. Um, oh my God, Eddie Stern's book. That was, that's absolutely essential. Um, and fascinating. I had, he was so gracious with me and gave me well over an hour interview with him when I was writing my thesis and, um, just fascinating man. Um, fascinating person, fascinating. And yeah. even Porges's work on the polyvagal theory, that would be good. Um, awesome. and then Peter Levine's work, um, would be good to read as well. So those are kind of some of those heavy hitters out there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to check out some of those. I, I, I've read the body keeps the score. Um, but I haven't really read any of the other ones. I, I well, Eddie Stearns I've read as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, that yeah. one's really great. Um, waking the tiger. Um, that's Peter Levine's book. I recommend that for everybody too. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, well, I mean, Anne, I want to thank you for being on the show and I, I appreciate all of the information and, and, uh, it's always fascinating to talk with you, but I, I really appreciate you sharing, uh, k- kind of how Ashtanga plays into this whole, you know, somatic therapy aspect. And so I appreciate you being on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. If you want more information about Ashtanga Yoga, visit ashtangayogacolumbus.com. You can also check out my website, which is taylorhuntyoga.com. See you guys next time.